Greetings and salutations, all you sportsmen and women out there and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. That's right, sportsmen and women, welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. And you can get this podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Beacon, and Free Radio, Pocket Casts, and of course, Anchor.fm. Hey folks, consider helping support this podcast by donating to the cause, $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford, as it helps me push back on the problem propaganda in the news while providing conservation news and commentary along with sound science and conservation principles. And hey, you know, speaking of commentary, it's my commentary, it's my show, it's my opinion, and it doesn't necessarily reflect any of the positions of the organizations that I may be a part of. But if it is an official position, I will let you know about it. Also, the views expressed on this show may not reflect the views of the program sponsors and advertisers, just so we're all clear. Hey, folks, help please spread the word you know we're we're growing and we've got a countdown until uh, the days of spring uh which by my count is around eight or seven or eight days remaining but you know old man winter as he often does you know it gives you a few snowy surprises and we certainly did have a little snowy surprise late last week with a winter storm that dumped several inches across much of the southern tier with a general few inches falling everywhere else but gaining in intensity the further further east you went um, the bitter cold also is helping prolong the ice fishing season just a little bit, although I think the fat lady is definitely clearing her throat to mark the end of this year's season. You know, we uh, also had uh, the clocks that were set back on this past Sunday. That was yesterday on the 13th of uh, March. So, you know, obviously we spring forward uh, during this uh, daylight savings time, which has now commenced. That's a sure sign of spring, right? And even though some do complain about the clocks changing, and it was once remarked that uh, a wise Indian wise man or a, a shaman once remarked that only white man would think he could cut top of blanket uh, two feet off the top of blanket, sew it to the bottom of the blanket, and have a larger blanket. Ain't that the truth? There's still 24 hours in the day. Changing the clocks may make you think you got a little bit longer daylight hours, but it's still 24 hours in the day. And with technologies nowadays, with the farmers uh, being able to work all hours, you know, it's it's not something that really I think is necessary anymore. But you know, people are doing it for with the, the last change that happened to the daylight savings definitions in 2006. That was done because of global warming and trying to save on electricity, moving it up, you know, extending the daylight savings hours by, you know, uh, falling back from daylight savings time later, which used to be in October. We now do that in the first week of November. And, of course, we used to start the first week of uh, the first Sunday of April, and now we've moved it up to the second Sunday of March. So, you know, whatever the case may be, we're still starting the starting that countdown. Uh, you know, meteorologically, uh, spring already began. That started on March 1st, and you know we we can see that with the skunks starting to move around. Uh, they're coming out of their winter slumber. They don't really hibernate, but you know they they do take uh, most of the winter off, and now they're getting uh, out and about to feed and breed. 
and we also have a lot of the birds back. The robins are back, red-breasted robins, as well as the red-winged blackbirds, and you can hear their song everywhere, and that's kind of the, the countdown for spring for me. But, um, you know, the astrological um, or astronomical, whichever you want to call it, I think it's astronomical spring is actually, that hits on the 21st or 22nd of March, which is still a few weeks away, a couple weeks anyhow. Um, meanwhile, you know, Saturday, March 26th marks the end of coyote season for the 2021-2022 season. Uh, the rest of small game and fur bearer seasons closed on February 28th, and hunters now wait patiently for the release of the whitetail deer harvest from the New York State DEC, and we hope that it won't take too much longer. Uh, the bear harvest and the safety reports, the hunter-related shooting incidences and the elevated uh, hunting incidences have already been released. We're just now waiting on the uh, final harvest uh, to wrap up and be released for white-tailed deer. And it's also been announced that the New York State Conservation Council will be holding their annual spring meeting. It'll be a hybrid event again this year. This will be happening on April 9th, 2022. The meeting will be held in person at the Center for Agriculture and Natural Resources, SUNY Cobbleskill, which is at 114 Rockland Lane, Cobbleskill, New York. Zip code is 12043 for those who are interested. But there will also be Zoom meetings held in uh, support as well. And... Uh, it's been announced that the meeting will run from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., and it will also include tours of the Fish Hatchery and the Wildlife Center, uh, the American Fisheries Society and the Wildlife Society Cobbleskill students will be conducting those particular tours for those who attend in person. Committee chairs have been advised that there will be no time to hold individual committee meetings during the day and have been advised to hold their specific meetings prior to the main gathering. So here's to hoping the harvest numbers are compiled before I hold my meeting, as I am the chairman for the Big Game Committee, and um, I'm going to be hoping to set that up towards the end of this month. That way the, uh, you know, the, the discussions and such are fresh in the minds of the committee chairs or the committee members who may attend this meeting in person, and I'll also be able to submit a report. Um, you know, prior to this uh, April 9th legislative and committee spring meeting. Um, we're hoping the harvest numbers are compiled by then, and I'm also hoping that the impacts on EHD uh, is uh, also detailed, at least in an estimate format, uh, and the impacts on the localized herds this past fall uh, to try to get a better handle on, 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 you know, what happened in the epicenter and what is thought will happen to uh, DMP issuances uh, moving forward for the 2022 season. Also, the uh, New York State Conservation Council's first annual golf outing is now officially announced with their information flyer being released. There are 20 teams or 20 foursomes that will be able to register uh, and, and pay up, and you register you know, the, at the uh, uh, start of this uh, uh, tournament, which is going to be held on July 11th, 2022. Registration, uh, you know, res reservations, I should say, are due by July 1. Um, you'll basically, the uh, teams will show up at around 10 a.m. and register for their tea time, and the shotgun start will be at 11 a.m. Uh, the event's going to be held at the Seneca Falls Country Club, which is located at 2790 Route 89, Seneca Falls, New York. That zip code is 13148. The cost per foursome is $125 a golfer or $500 per foursome, and that'll include green fees, carts, and beverages on the course. There'll also be lunch and awards, which will start at 4.30 p.m. once golf is done. 
Uh, additional participation opportunities will also include sponsorship support with most sponsorship levels, excluding the tea and green sponsorships, uh, you know, including at least one foursome to play. Again, registration is due by July 1, 2022. It should be a very fun event, and there's an informational flyer that has been released. So that's kind of nice as well. In other news, we're seeing some interesting moves being made in other states, starting with Vermont, as officials grapple with the need to reduce their moose populations due to a massive tick infestation that's plaguing moose and other wildlife, but the moose in particular. Um, and so, you know, this animal is also spreading ticks across the state, prompting officials to recognize the need to reduce overall moose numbers. In response, the Vermont Fish and Wildlife is considering adding 100 moose hunting permits this coming fall season, with the proposal already accepted by the Fish and Wildlife Board, and it's taking another step closer to reality. Nick Fortin, the moose project leader for the Fish and Wildlife Department of Vermont, uh, is quoted as saying moose density in wildlife management unit E is still more than one moose per square mile, which is significantly higher than any part of the state. Moose densities greater than one per square mile support high numbers of winter ticks, which negatively impact moose health and survival. And he continued that research has shown that lower moose densities in the rest of Vermont support relatively few winter ticks that do not impact the moose population. So reducing moose density in Wildlife Management Unit E decreases the number of available hosts, which in turn decreases the number of, wild, uh, number of winter ticks on the landscape. Uh, moose health in the state has deteriorated due to the spread of ticks according to this recent study. And while moose adult survival rates remain high, less than half of the calves are surviving their first winter, and researchers believe that without the ticks, the majority of those calves would have survived. Um, the ticks could also be causing lower reproductive rates in high infestation areas. Um, so that's really due to the diseases that are spread by ticks and, the, you know, obviously the toll that they take uh, while feeding throughout the winter on these uh, um, young moose calves. So, you know, they're looking at uh, making some moves to reduce those moose numbers to reduce the wintering tick numbers in Vermont. And in North Carolina, fish and game officials there have decided to re-implement a bear hunting season after a ban that had put in place, uh, been put in place a few years back. However, this new season will be limited to the Panther Town bonus defeat, the Sanding Indian, and the Pisgah uh, bear sanctuaries as numbers are rising fast along with human-bear conflicts. The new rules will take effect August 1, 2022, and at the same time, hunters and the public at large are reminded to be careful around bear dens this time of year. Uh, folks disturbing bear dens uh, appear to be causing cubs to be abandoned by the sow, and if you have find a suspected bear den, leave the area as to not disturb the slumbering sows with their cubs. However, right now, many bears are going to be hibernating or emerging from hibernation. That's going to be happening now right through into April, and you know, once feeding commences, this concern should abate. Uh, but they are going to be, uh, you know, opening up uh, bear season now limited and, you know, heavily regulated to try to take down the populations in these uh, bear 
sanctuaries that were created because these are the factories they're spreading out and just like we saw in Allegheny State Park which led to the first limited bear hunt in the history of the parks that, that happened in 2021 will probably be happening very likely in 2022 as well um, you know North Carolina game officials are seeing similar type of things so they are re-implementing that bear season to try to get ahead of it and reduce those human bear conflicts which is also important to do because if that starts happening and getting big then it's only bad news for the bears and you're going to be wasting a lot of bears by destroying these problem bruins which at this time it's obviously very good to remind everyone again that black bears will be emerging from their dens very soon and some indeed have may already have emerged uh, driven by their need to feed and get ready for breeding season, which starts in May-June, Bruins will be ranging during this time of year, seeking out their own territory while searching for mates and, of course, food sources. This is the time of year when bears will become acclimated to sloppy and unkept yards, open garbage cans, sloppy bird feeders, dirty grills, etc., etc. These sources of food will drive bears, and if they find that food is easy, they'll continue to return time and again until the easy food source is exhausted or removed. Then they could take the next step in trying to find out whether or not they can get into your home. But if you make sure to take down your bird feeders and clean up fallen seed, secure your garbage cans inside a structure like a garbage uh, shed or a garage or something to that effect, um, and you know if you feed your pets outside, please discontinue that practice. Uh, you know, that, that's going to reduce the opportunities for bears to get acclimated to your backyard and then become a problem. Um, you know, it, you really should discontinue it until the breeding season is concluded, which is again in, in around June. But, you know, the wildlife doesn't need feeding in summertime uh, and keeping your, your uh, yard uh, relatively free of this type of food, uh, whether it's pet food or bird food and keeping uh, your garbage uh, under control also helps to reduce the rat infestations that we seem to have time and again. Um, but, you know, western New York does have a growing bear population, and over the past several years, we've seen two bears having to be destroyed by the police in specifically the town of Amherst. These unfortunate events were the direct result, honestly, people, of the stupidity of our community members, creating unsafe conditions for bears and the community at large. Don't feed the bears intentionally, folks. Try to reduce the food that's available. And, you know, enough with trying to get selfies. I know it's cute, and you got these bears that are walking around, but, you know, the more human interaction that you, you bring to a bear that isn't negative, meaning driving them away, the quicker they're going to, you know, acclimate to being around people, and they're not going to see you as a threat, and, you know, they're going to pass through unless they find a smorgasbord in your yard. So, you know, take the appropriate measures now. And this is the time really to start taking those appropriate measures as to avoid any kind of negative encounters with bears or having them coming back time and again to your backyard while you're scratching. Why are they doing that? Well, it's because you're still feeding your birds and you're still doing other things that uh, are drawing those bears right when they're starting to feed up for the breed. Well, folks, if you hear that music back there in that background, that's right. I've got to take another break, for the first break, actually, for the day. So, folks, stick around. Don't go anywhere, because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. I'll be right back.
And welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State to the second segment of this week's episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. You know that the weather is getting nicer. It's, uh, it's you know, today is a lot warmer than it was yesterday for sure, and we had sporadic blizzards over the weekend. Um, you know, Saturday and Sunday, I, I went down to Chautauqua Lake, uh, and I saw that safe ice conditions uh, questionable, but there were some people still out on that lake, folks. Uh, but the conditions were deteriorating rapidly, and we've got a warm-up in store for this week. I heard that we might see 60-degree-plus uh, weather on St. Patrick's Day, which is this coming Thursday. That's right, folks. And, you know, last or two years ago on this day was when all the lockdowns began and, you know, for COVID, COVID, COVID. Uh, they just wrapped up the... Uh, uh, the outdoor expo in Hamburg, and that was really the last normal bit of of time, the normal event that we had, uh, you know, since COVID, COVID, COVID emerged, and you know that uh, lockdown started the day before uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day. That, that St. Patrick's Day 2020 was on a Tuesday. Uh, I know a lot of bars had, you know, cooked up their corned beef and they're ready for the corned beef and cabbage, only to be told that they were non-essential and they had to lock down. Uh, absolutely brutal, but, you know, we're emerging from all of that now. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, was still a very, very good hard water season. And we had under uninterrupted ice, despite some rains and a few thaws. Uh, safe ice on Chautauqua, in, in particular, started January 16th. And, you know, I still saw people out there fishing yesterday uh, out in front of Maple Springs, although they weren't out real deep. There were still guys out. But I didn't want to be in that blizzard, that's for sure. However, I did head down there on Saturday for March 12th as the winners of the inaugural 2022 Chautauqua Lake Ice Derby received their prizes at Chautauqua Real Outdoors. And although the first event had 18 anglers enter, which was not unex not really unexpected due to the short notice and timing, uh, we were able to pay out 100% of the prize money. And since we didn't have any entries in the crappie category this year, and, and additionally only one entry in the white perch and sunfish categories, we had a little bit of leftover um, money, if you will, in the kitty. And so we paid down third place in walleye and third place in yellow perch uh, to, to provide that that money as well. And uh, in addition to that, uh, the winners did get, uh, you know, we still had some leftover money. So I threw some, you know, five bucks additionally into the kitty. Uh, that kicked the 75 leftover into 80 bucks. And uh, four anglers were able to do a $20 shopping spree at Chautauqua Real Outdoors. That was really wonderful. The top category of walleye was won by Bill Lisinski. Jr. with a 26-inch lunker, and besides winning the cash prize, uh, Lasinski also won a Lake Erie walleye charter to be taken in either July or August of this year, courtesy of Captain Larry Jones of Mostly Musky Charters. You know, all anglers really had a great time, and, uh, you know, angler Tom Cermak noted that one would be crazy not to enter this tournament, as all it takes is one drop of the line, and with six different species offered, it's not just limited to walleye, as a lot of the guys in a lot of the tournaments on that lake typically are. So we're doing something a little bit different. And, uh, you know, you're so right, Tom, that it's, you know, if you're a nice fisherman out on Chautauqua Lake, you'd be crazy not to enter this event next year as, you know, you can win a little bit of money, win some prizes. Next year is going to be a much bigger event. You know, we hope to do some things that, uh, 
you know, we couldn't do this year because of COVID, COVID, COVID. And, of course, we're going to be able to, uh, you know, take online entries and do a bunch of different things. So stay tuned, folks, because we're going to be launching this one uh, a lot earlier this year. Uh, you know, 2022, I'll probably be announcing the opening to, to start entering in September or October. We'll get everything all, all together, get some sponsors lined up, you know, have some really nice donated prizes as well. Um, you know, we're going to work together with the Chautauqua County Visitors Bureau as well as the, the organized sportsmen in Chautauqua County. And who knows, we may be, even be able to get a bunch of different tackle shops to assist people and become like way stations and such because the rules are going to change a little bit to accommodate more people and accommodate more options on entering fish into this derby. Uh, we're also going to have bump boards for sale as well. And, uh, you know, so stay tuned. It's going to be a great time. And I just wanted to say congratulations to all the winners. And a big thank you goes out to Mike Sperry of Chautauqua Real Outdoors for his partnership in this event and to Captain Larry Jones of Mus Mostly Muskie Charters for donating his uh, walleye trip on the Big E. We hope to announce uh, you know, next year's event and get a jump on things a lot sooner, like I said. And uh, with a little luck, gas prices will recede and COVID, COVID, COVID will be done and uh, we'll be, you know, uh, cooking with gas for next year's ice derby now the waiting game is continuing for the fishing regulations i did receive word from uh, steve hurst today that you know stay tuned they're about to announce whether or not these uh regulations have been codified but april 1st is fast approaching and that's typically the start of the regulatory year for fisheries um, we're waiting on two specific packages the big pan fishing initiative regulations uh specifically crappie and the statewide minimum, which is proposed to move from 9 inches to 10 inches. Sunfish will also be impacted statewide with a daily creel limit dropping from 50 fish per day to 25 per angler, along with the establishment of some big sunfish waters where the minimum size for sunfish will be set at 8 inches and a minimum or a maximum, I should say, should say a daily creel limit of 15 fish will be in place to grow some bigger sunfish. In Region 9, that would be Silver Lake, but there are a bunch of lakes listed across the state, lakes and ponds that are going to fall under that. The other regulations will streamline many trout ponds and lakes, uh, along with altering some opening days, such as the walleye, northern pike, pickerel, and tiger muskie seasons, to move from the first Saturday in May to May 1st. Inland muskellunge season would move from the last Saturday in May to June 1st, and statewide black bass season would open June 15th instead of the third Saturday in June. June 15th would also apply to the Great Lakes Muskie opener with a season closing on, on Great Lakes Muskie of December 15th. Expecting to hear something from Albany very soon on this, and once I do, I'm, I will sure to put out a special broadcast, a special podcast on this, unless the timing allows the coverage for normal cycles, but I'm expecting to hear something any day. And meanwhile, the record-breaking trend that has been continuing since last year on freshwater and saltwater state records is continuing, as news out of Georgia indicates another state record has fallen when angler Timmy Woods of Kite, Georgia reeled in a 2-pound, 10-ounce hickory shad from Ogeechee River, and it was certified earlier this month, month, which broke the old record for hickory shad that was set last year from the same river. Now, hickory shad is a cousin of the American shad. They're Andromeda species. 
um, that, you know, spend most of their life in the Atlantic Ocean, and then they return to their natural uh, rivers to spawn, and, uh, you know, once they've uh, spawned or, or reached sexual maturity, they come into those natal rivers and uh, start spawning, and in Georgia, the shad spawning runs usually begin in January in the southern rivers, and fish can be found until May below the new Savannah Bluff Lock and Dam near Augusta. And according to the Georgia DNR, both American and hickory shad can be commercially harvested in multiple rivers of the state. Um, they can also be caught in most of the state's coastal rivers. So, you know, they were noted as saying uh, Scott Robinson, who is the chief of fisheries uh, for the Wildlife Resources Division, uh, said in a press release that the Okagee River, Ogeechee River, is the place to be if you're targeting record hickory shad. The great news is that there are an amazing angling opportunities all over the state, plenty of fish to catch, but who will hold the next record? Don't let someone else do it. It's time to get outdoors and go fish Georgia. Hey, you know, that's very, very cool. Very cool indeed. And, you know, we're still waiting on the RFP to be issued for the town of Evans for the seasonal dredging of Sturgeon Point Marina. The clock is ticking. This needs to get issued and done sooner rather than later. Town board has indicated that any day that request for proposal could be released, that could be released at the next town board uh, meeting, which is going to be this coming Wednesday at 6.30 down in the town of Evans on Route 5. Um, you know, So we're waiting for that. And we've also uh, heard that the Army Corps of Engineers is continuing their work to rebuild the breakwater and adding current-slowing baffles along the stretch of Broderick Park and the Upper Niagara River to repair much-needed breaks in the wall while also offering current-slowing breaks for the Emerald Shiners. Uh, that project should be wrapping up relatively soon, so that'll be nice. And I've also gotten word uh, from the organizers of the Niagara Falls Fishing Expo, um, that an event that was, you know, obviously was canceled this year due to COVID, COVID, COVID rule uncertainties. They're getting a head start and ahead of the game for the 2023 event, releasing info on how to secure a spot for next year's expo for nonprofits and other groups working to promote the fisheries and educate people about what we got around us. Um, those groups have a deadline of March 31st, 2022 to commit to the new show, which will be held February 16th through 19th, 2023 at the Event Center in Niagara Falls. I'm passing the word along to those groups that uh, usually would participate in this event, such as the Erie County Fisheries Advisory Board, Erie County Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs, as well as the Citizens Against Wind Turbines in Lake Erie, as they typically had a, a presence educating people at that show. And I'm hoping they're going to be back as well. But again, we just uh, concluded that Outdoors Expo up in, uh, or down in uh, Hamburg, I should say. Uh, that just concluded yesterday, a four-day event. It was certainly scaled back. Not as many nonprofits uh, did attend because, you know, they did scale back and obviously they wanted to focus more on those uh, vendors that would, you know, pay for that space instead of getting giving it away for free. Uh, but Southtown's Walleye was there, and they're also, uh, you know, we're announcing that they've got an initiative that's supported by the city of Buffalo to place up to 50 safety ring stations along 
uh, the Upper Niagara River shoreline from Broderick Park extending northward to the uh, Black Rock Park as well. As there are no safety uh, stations for safety rings, um, you know, in case people go in. And that's kind of a, an, you know, a strange thing when you look at other states along the Great Lakes that have shoreline fishing access and fishing piers and fishing parks, they do have these safety ring stations. But for whatever reason, Buffalo, New York, and Erie County, they don't have any of them. So the South Towns Walleye Association, in conjunction with uh, the East Side Anglers Club, uh, they've gone ahead, they've gotten support from the Buffalo Police Benevolent Association and the police firefighters, uh, and they've actually gotten some sizable donations from the Buffalo PBA. Um, each one of these stations costs $500. They want to get as many as 50 of them located across there. They've got a good start, but you know anyone can donate. Reach out to the South Towns Walleye Association and sponsor one of these for just 500 bucks. You may be able to place one of these that could save a life, and that would be really, really, really cool. Um, you know, on the Facebook page for the South Towns Walleye Association and at SouthTownsWalleye.org, they do have informational flyers on these things, and you can reach out and get a hold of the right people at South Towns Walleye and, uh, you know, make that $500 donation and make this a reality. Um, hopefully we'll engage the Erie County Parks as well and get their help in installing those in the Erie County Parks area like the Black Rock uh, River Park, Riverside Park, um, you know, we could stand to, to put in a few of those. It's really needed. And each station has a 24-inch lifesaver ring along with a 100-foot uh, lifeline that is used. So you can go ahead and take this, and you can throw it out to somebody who may have gone over the, over the side. And in that swift water, especially in the cooler water, it's awful tough to get out of the river, especially with the, uh, the shoreline really lined with breakwaters that were, you know, for, for barges and such to tie off to when they were waiting to get into the Black Rock Canal or waiting for their tugboats to, uh, you know, pull them over to the, uh, the uh, Erie Barge Canal. So, you know, if this is something that's really good, I, I implore everybody to check that out, get involved with it, and maybe we can make these areas a little bit safer, especially for uh, kids and families that are coming down there. You know, it can get slippery, it can get a little bit tricky, and if you fall in, it's nice to know that, that those along there do have the opportunity to, to access some life-saving uh, equipment. Uh, thank you to the South Towns Walleye Association and the East Side Anglers Club as well. Um, all sorts of really good stuff, and that's just fantastic. Well, folks, you hear that music? That's right. The fastest podcast in podcast history has got segment number two already in the can, and I've got to take my next break of the day. But, folks, stand up, stretch your legs, get a cup of coffee, but don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. will be right back. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the next segment of this episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. 
you know, uh, it's, it's just wonderful to have the audience that I got. It's an honor to be talking with you. And, you know, spring is certainly in the air. And, uh, you know, that means you've got a lot of uh, migratory birds that are coming back to the area that have spent their time, you know, obviously over uh, in the southern climes, in warmer climes, but they're now making their way back. You know, I've already mentioned the... Uh, um, you know, the red-winged blackbirds and the red-breasted robins, but pretty soon we're going to be seeing those, you know, wonderful Baltimore Orioles and a whole bunch of other birds that'll be coming in, uh, as well as a lot of waterfowl that will be stopping off. You know, you've got the common loons that are going to be coming back. Uh, they'll be, you know, showing up on Chautauqua Lake once that ice is out. Uh, you've got all sorts of ducks that are coming back and geese that are coming back. And, you know, they're making their stops in our area in this Ramsar designated corridor that is the upper and lower Niagara River. And in conjunction with that, the DEC has been busily completing their New York State birding trail, and they just recently announced the opening of the Long Island section of the statewide amenity, with the grand opening of this section happened, uh, it happened on March 10th. Uh, so the Long Island segment includes 20 locations throughout Nassau and Suffolk counties, providing a variety of quality birding experiences for New Yorkers and visitors to enjoy. This is in addition to the Western New York segment that was just opened up, uh, you know, a few weeks ago that was announced. And, you know, according to this press release, the Long Island segment of the birding trail includes 20 locations on a mix of state and federal lands throughout Nassau and Suffolk counties. From Montauk Point State Park on the tip of Long Island to Hempstead Lake in Nassau County, visitors can experience birding at a variety of habitats. Visitors can enjoy birding at coastal locations like the Barrier Island Ecosystems at Fire Island Lighthouse, where one-third of all North American species have been recorded. That's nice. Inland sites like Edgewood Oak Brush Plains and Ridge Conservation Area offer multiple opportunities to observe migratory birds and other forest and grassland species. The Sandy Pine Barrens of Rocky Point Pine Barrens State Park are ideal habitat for woodpeckers, great horned owls, and those Baltimore Orioles. Uh, three National Wildlife Refuge properties with salt marshes and lagoons offer the chance to see waterfowl, raptors, wading birds, and songbirds alike. Uh, visiting North Shore sites such as Sunken Meadows State Park uh, that has salt marshes where snowy and common egrets, black-crowned night herons, and great blue herons can be seen fishing in the waters of the marsh. Long Island is part of the Atlantic Flyway and on the migratory path of a high diversity of bird species. Visit these sites and uh, you'll have you know something to enjoy for everyone, that's for sure. Uh, DEC has also wrapped up their Wooly Adelgig uh, Winter Mapping Challenge, New York's first statewide winter mapping challenge to find out where these Wooly, wooly Adelgigs uh, that attack hemlock trees, they're invasive, um, that has wrapped up and the program helps monitor these invasive species and, uh, you know, this uh, will certainly help. Uh, you know, identify those and, you know, those who entered to actually help in the mapping, um, you know, they could have entered to win maybe a prize that they could compete for. So that's kind of nice. Um, volunteers and partners across the state have been monitoring these invasive hemlock woolly adelgig uh, HWAs all winter, uh, particularly along the leading edge of its distribution that runs across New York State. Since the start of the challenge, IMAP Invasives has received 100 not-detected records across the state indicated locations where IMAP users checked a hemlock tree but found no signs of these woolly analgids. That's great news for our hemlocks and the biodiversity they support. 
DEC has also announced that they're now starting their hiring of boat stewards for their watercraft inspection steward program for the 2022 season. If you would like working outdoors, interacting with the public, and want to help protect New York's waters from aquatic invasive species, please check out the SLELO uh, PRISM website for a listing of positions across New York State. Uh, that, that is nice, you know, and, and DEC has also announced that the annual ban on brush burning takes effect March 16th and runs through May 14th of 2022. Since 2009, the DEC has been enforcing the annual brush burning ban to prevent wildfires and protect communities during heightened conditions for wildfires each spring. And uh, Basil Sagos, you know, the, the Jekyll and Hyde commissioner that we got, you know, the start of spring in New York comes with an increased risk of wildfires, he's quoted as saying in this press release. Starting March 16th, ending May 14th, New York State prohibits residential brush burning to protect our communities and our natural resources. Since 2009, New York's burn ban has reduced the number of wildfires in our communities, and we're looking forward to continuing that trend in 2022. Although some areas are still blanketed in snow, rapidly changing weather conditions can quickly create the right formula for devastating brush fires. And, you know, case in point is, you know, we're coming up on uh, on St. Patrick's Day, which is reported to be going to be in the 60s. And it doesn't take long for that snow belt, the snowpack to melt, exposing the dead, uh, you know, detritus underneath. And, you know, it doesn't take much to dry it out completely. And, uh, you know, a day like that's coming up on St. Patrick's Day is a perfect day to suddenly see a wildfire spark from an unattended fire pit or something to that effect. You know, backyard fire pits and campfires less than three feet in height and four feet in length, width or diameter, they're certainly allowed. Small cooking fires are also allowed. Only charcoal or dry, clean, untreated or unpainted wood can be burned. Um, people should never leave these fires unattended and must extinguish them before leaving. Uh, burning garbage or leaves is prohibited year-round. Um, you know, my grandmother would laugh at that and burn it anyhow in her burn barrel. Um, you know, but she lived out in Eden, New York, and was always known for people, uh, you know, saying, uh, you know, as they started smelling that garbage burn, that, uh, you know, Michalina was stinking up the neighborhood again. Um, but, uh, you know, there, uh, that's, you know, obviously it's, it's banned, um, and, you know, for more information about the fire safety and prevention, go to DEC's FireWise New York webpage. Uh, some towns, particularly in and around the Adirondack and Cantskill Park areas, are designated fire towns where open burning is prohibited year-round in those municipalities, unless an individual or group has a permit from the DEC. To find out whether a municipality is a designated fire town or to obtain a permit, contact your appropriate DEC regional office. A list of regional offices is obviously available on the DEC.ny.gov website. And, you know, forest rangers and the DEC environmental conservation police officers, along with local authorities, enforce this burn ban. Violators of the state's open burning regulation are subject to criminal and civil enforcement actions with a minimum $500 a fine for the first offense. That's nice. And on March 11th, 2022, it was announced that the completion of the transfer of jurisdiction for a 34-mile segment of the Remsen Lake Placid Travel Corridor has been completed. This portion of the future Adirondack Rail Trail between Tupper Lake and Lake Placid was executed from DOT to DEC 
marking the official start of the trail's design and construction phase and the conversion of this rail bed into a shared youth path for hikers, bikers, cross-country skiers, and snowmobile enthusiasts. So starting October 2020, DOT worked to remove the rail infrastructure from Tupper Lake to Lake Placid segment in this corridor, leading to, to the uh, transfer of jurisdiction of this parcel to the DEC. The transfer marks the formal completion of the rail removal phase and begins the start of the formal trail design and construction phase. With transfer of jurisdiction, DEC assumes the management of public safety and recreational activities, as well as maintenance along this segment of the corridor. So that's kind of nice. Uh, the first of three stages, the Lake Placid to Saranac Lake segment of the trail, is currently scheduled to open September of 2023. The completed trail is, is expected to be open in 2025 with a projected cost for the trail running around $22.9 million, <clears throat> which will likely be adjusted as design details and final contracted costs are finalized for parking lots. Um, snowmobile, pedestrian, and bicycle pull-offs, retaining walls, stormwater measures, wetland mitigation, signage, and other specifics all contribute to the cost of this. And during trail construction stages, DEC will carefully manage recreational priorities uh, to prioritize public safety first. Public use may be limited or restricted in sections due to hazardous conditions or active construction. Yeah. So just to get that straight, we got $22.9 million that the DEC is going to spend on constructing this. I wonder where that money is actually coming from. Um, I know it's not can't be coming from the uh, conservation fund, as that's just for conservation, um, you know, projects and such. And this is not a conservation project. I suspect it's coming out of the environmental protection fund to make this happen. So. You know, I, I guess, uh, you know, all your fines and, and polluters and dumping, uh, you know, nastiness into the uh, ecosystems and being fined, uh, this is uh, part of the use of it. So $22.9 million, and this entire trail, which is linking Lake Placid to Saranac Lake and Tupper Lake, uh, you know, that entire stretch, um, that entire trail is expected to be completed in another couple of years. That'll be 2025, so it's down the road. Uh, but that section between Tupper and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Lake Placid has now been entering its official phase to uh, go into design and construction of that trail. The rail bed is taken care of, so that's kind of good news. I guess for those who use these trails, which I have noted that usage of these rail-to-trails reclaimed areas is underwhelming at best. And what I mean by underwhelming is, you know, you see a few people using the, the paved footpaths and maybe riding bikes on it every now and again. Um, but it's not like it's something that is really, really huge. Uh, certainly in spots, in pockets of these rail-to-trails projects, you do have uh, people that use those areas. But it's more so people that were already using these abandoned trail beds to hike around and etc. Anyhow, I don't think they've grown the usage at all. Um, the bicycling is certainly a lot of fun in the summertime, um, but again, you don't have a ton of people that are doing this. Who knows, maybe with gas prices going up as high as they have, more people will taking, 
to bicycling in the summertime uh, and utilizing some of these trail corridors as they can get you safely from say Tonawanda down to the waterfront um, you know into into the the, the Buffalo area uh, so who knows maybe that'll become more uh, more popular with the cost of gas going up because let's go Brandon has a anti-American energy policy but you know the the jury is still out on a lot of these things uh, I, I certainly would like to see uh, you know more public fishing rights uh, secured on the shoreline areas that we could use uh, I could see you know adjusting those those uh, PFR costs those those expenditures adjusted upwards to factor in for the reality of today because they're kind of operating on 1990s formulas for for uh, reimbursing the uh, the property owner as a one-time shot per you know dollars per acre uh, but you know that's just me I'd like to see some things that you know you know, a lot of people I know would like to see, but at least they're trying to do something and increase the uh, reclamation of these trail beds that are no longer in use. And, uh, you know, I just hope that, you know, the spending is justified. That's a lot of money that could go into other things like updating fish hatcheries and, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, repairing and, and modernizing some of the parking areas at WMAs and uh, unique management areas, etc. But, you know, that's just me putting it out there, folks. What do I know? I'm just a sportsman here in Buffalo, New York, and I don't have the, the purse strings to be able to do that. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll see some, uh, some uh, improvement in this. Well, folks, you hear that music? That's right. The fastest podcast in history has got three segments now in the can, and i got to take my final break of the day. But, folks, don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the final episode of this week's episode of, or final segment of this week's episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. You know, it's uh, it's an amazing uh, time that we live in for sure. And, you know, there's a lot of make-believe now that's being embraced by adults who really ought to know better. But, you know, once upon a time, that phrase... Uh, whose first use is still subject to a lot of little literary debate, is best known to the beginning of most fairy tales that we know of today. And it establishes the long-ago time of a farcical story that's set in, and it also tells the reader that what you're about to read is a work of fantastic fiction. 
Yet today we see many works of fantastic fiction suddenly dropping this phrase in an attempt to trick unsuspecting people that what they're about to hear is true and fact-based information rather than made-up folly of shysters and charlatans. This couldn't be more true of today's climate change zealots and true believers. After the term global warming got nuked over the last decade of no warming, despite the alarmist predictions, which was you know, a change in terminology from the 1970s when it was about the impending ice age due to global cooling. That's right. So you went from global cooling in the 70s to global warming in the 90s, and now it's just climate change. So it's global warming, global cooling. It doesn't matter. Once upon a time is dropped because it's just a fairy tale that they want you to believe in. Now, the latest chunk of make-believe that's missing once upon a time can be found in the form of the New York State DEC's Climate Justice, the draft proposal outlining the criteria that defines what a disadvantaged community is in need of climate justice. Now, we're going to play a little game here, folks, and I hope you like it because, you know, this is the first time I've played this little game, and I'm going to take parts of that press release, and only I'm going to read it properly, okay? Once upon a time, New York State announced the release of a draft criteria developed by the Climate Justice Working Group for identifying disadvantaged communities. The draft criteria will guide the equitable implementation of New York's ambitious Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, also known as the Climate Act. Pursuant to the Climate Act's disadvantaged community provisions, the draft includes an interactive map and a list of communities the criteria would cover for directing programs and projects to reduce air pollution and climate-altering greenhouse gas emissions, provide economic development opportunities, <clears throat> and clean energy targets and energy efficiency investments. Once upon a time, State Department of Environmental Conservation Commissioner and Climate Action Council Co-Chairman Dr. Jekyll and Hyde Basil Sagos said advancing climate justice is central to New York's Climate Act and our efforts to transition all New Yorkers to a cleaner, greener future. I thank the Climate Justice Working Group for the collaboration and extensive analysis that went into making up this draft disadvantaged communities list and criteria released today for public comment. This marks a significant milestone in New York's efforts to advance climate justice fairy tales, and I encourage all New Yorkers to review these draft documents and support this ongoing work to uh, buttress this arbitrary and capricious climate change law. Once upon a time, New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, NYSERDA, President and CEO and Climate Action Council co-chair Doreen M. Harris said, along with this draft criteria for disadvantaged communities, I encourage the public to review the Climate Change Action Council's draft scoping plan and participate in the public hearings to shape the final fairy tale product as we work to implement a bold climate change agenda. These efforts are clearly and mindfully incorporating climate justice at its core to deliver opportunities and improved quality of life to 
under-resourced areas across New York State. <clears throat> Once upon a time, Eddie Bautista, executive director of the New York City Environmental Justice Alliance and member of the Climate Justice Working Group, said identifying communities that are disadvantaged is the first step in advancing the climate justice agenda. No kidding. Outlined in the climate change law. While we undertook an extensive process to develop, to develop these make-believe draft criterions, which included significant considerations and assessments of how communities are currently impacted by environmental burdens and health, income, and other social disparities, it is important to note that this is a starting point and we should expect that these criteria will evolve over time as we collect more data and get better insight to the extent to which frontline communities across the state are overburdened. I am excited to hear feedback on these draft criteria from members of the public, including residents of frontline communities. I also want to express my appreciation to my fellow working group members for their dedication in creating this process to help us get to this point of believing in a fairy tale. Once upon a time, Rawa Gurmetijan, executive director of Push Buffalo and member of the Climate Justice Working Group, said, I'm grateful for the leadership of DEC and NYSERDA for showing the courage to work with frontline leadership through a rigorous process with the Climate Justice Working Group to develop this draft fairy tale criteria for identifying these fictitious disadvantaged communities. While the goal is to continue to iterate, evolve, and deepen the pockets of those in this area by stealing from others, it's, you know, the characterization of these communities over time to meet the goals as intended by the architects of this fictitious agenda, this initial draft place is a great place to start. Yeah. DEC is accepting public comments until July 7, 2022 on this draft criteria. They'll hold at least six public hearings, folks, uh, during this comment period. Uh, the draft criteria, community list, map, and supporting documentation, which is all made-up blather, folks, um, is available on the New York State Climate Action website. Um, you know, New Yorkers are encouraged to submit comments via online public comment form via email at daccomments at dec.ny.gov uh, and via U.S. mail to attention draft DAC comments, NYSDEC, attention Office of Environmental Justice, 625 Broadway, 14th floor, Albany, New York, 12233. Information about the public hearings will be released soon. You know, once upon a time, New York State's nation-leading climate agenda is the most aggressive climate and clean energy initiative in the nation, calling for an orderly and just transition to clean energy that will never create any jobs, will never continue fostering any kind of a green community, um, because, you know, New York State is just making baloney up and positing this uh, in the name of law, in the name of fictitious science. 
they want a path to achieve a mandated zero, which is the arbitrary part, zero emission electricity sector by 2040, including a 70% renewable energy generation by 2030. That's just eight short years away. It's never going to happen. And to reach economy-wide carbon neutrality. Yeah, it's fairy tale. It's all make-believe, folks. It builds on New York's unprecedented investments, stealing money out of your pocket through higher costs and taxes on your um, on your gasoline bill and on your energy bill, your electric bill, um, to you know invest in ramp up in clean energy, including over $33 billion in 102 large-scale renewable and transmission projects across the state, in a state that's completely broke. Another $6.8 billion to reduce building emissions, and $1.8 billion to scale up solar, more than $1 billion for clean transportation, and over $1.6 billion in New York Green Bank commitments. Are you kidding me? New York State is broke. We've got like a $40 billion deficit that's, you know, due to COVID, COVID, COVID. Where is this money going to come from? Absolutely irresponsible. Combined, these investments now will nearly support 158,000 jobs in New York's clean energy sector in 2020. Baloney. That's made up. There are, there are no jobs in this sector, folks. Uh, other than construction to build useless things, and then there are no permanent jobs beyond maybe two or three uh, at best. Uh, and that's the truth, folks. You can look at a number of different projects. It's not going to be jobs for New Yorkers. This is just all make-believe, and it's a smokescreen. Um, under the Climate uh, Arbitrary and Capricious Act, uh, you know, they're developing 900 megawatts of offshore wind by 2035, and this progress will reduce uh, uh, plant food emissions by 85% from 1990 levels by 2050. Why 1990 levels? Why aren't you looking at what we're doing today with more efficient use of hydro? Oh, that's right. You're shutting down all the nuclear plants, so we're going to see an increase in carbon dioxide from dual fuel and natural gas, which are two very clean-burning fuels that emit carbon dioxide and water vapor. Uh, it's not like the, the uh, soot and, and particulate matters that, that are being released from coal plants. We shut down all our coal plants. we got no base load left, folks. Um, but that's okay because we'll import from the dirty coal plants in Pennsylvania. And since it doesn't fall on the New York State Renewable Portfolio Standard, we can pretend to be green while charging us massive amounts of money more for our electricity to get nothing other than an unstable and unreliable electric grid which has consequences right up and down the eastern seaboard and into Canada. These people actually think you're stupid but you know they're dropping once upon a time because a lot of people are stupid. They're totally ignorant of what the grid needs and what electrical energy and energy in general actually entails. It's a science called physics and it's the first science that's completely ignored by those who claim they believe in science like it's the Easter Bunny or something. <sighs> and of course you know this is the communism you know from those who have to those who don't have um, for those who have the means to those with the needs, um, that's uh, Marxism right in a nutshell. That's what they're furthering on this. So, folks, when they tell you they're going to try to save the planet, that's a lie. What they're trying to do is eliminate your ability to afford energy, which eliminates your ability to travel freely, 
which increases your dependency upon government and then takes from people that have money to give to people that don't have money, that don't want to work, that just got their hands out to pay for an increased cost of their energy. I mean, they've already got HEAP and a bunch of other different programs, but now what they're doing is eliminating the middle class by increasing the costs and taking more of the lower and, and uh, middle class, the lower middle class and middle middle class, and actually folding them into the, the, uh, the people that have to be dependent upon the government for this stuff. This is communism under the guise of saving the planet. And, you know, what could possibly be missing from all of this? any kind of environmental impact studies on what these advanced uh, and increased wind and solar factories are going to do to our environment. I'm already hearing that in Casadega and in Arkwright, deer and bear are leaving the hilltops and moving closer into the into the uh, communities down in the valleys, getting away from that low-frequency noise. They're not doing any of these these studies because they don't want to know. They, they want to speed this up because that's the responsible thing to do, is actually study what's going to happen. And they don't want to do that. They want to tell you that they got to save the planet, therefore the environmental impact are a moot thing. We got to break eggs to make omelets. That's what they're doing, folks. That's nothing about the planet at all. It's about taking your money and taking your liberty and eliminating electrical energy, which is folly. You know, what could possibly go wrong? A brownout of the electrical grid due to unreliable output not beating demand and causing failure of the New York grid, which will impact and ripple effect right down the entirety of the eastern seaboard. This is crooked, it's corrupt, and there's not a single public benefit in these, these schemes, despite the propaganda that they're pushing. But what's important to listen to is what they're not telling you. They're going to give you all the flowers and all the unicorn piss and all the rainbows in the world, but they're not going to tell you about the science that the grid demands. They're not going to tell you about the unreliability of these things, despite their saying, well, technology is advancing. There is no technology that will ever be delivered, folks, that can control the wind and order the wind to blow when they want it to and wind stops it stops that's why we got away from sailing vessels and began using freighters that actually had diesel powered engines because when the wind stops blowing on the ocean your your shipping stops as well and when the sun doesn't shine and it doesn't shine for a, a lot of good part of the day you don't have any electricity. You think these are going to work, you're out of your mind, and you don't know exactly how this grid is operating, and they don't want to tell you. That's by design. Keep you ignorant and keep you emotionally bent to save polar bears that don't need saving, to save a planet that is just, it's dynamic, and it's they're, they're attacking plant food. Without carbon dioxide, you don't have photosynthesis. And the levels in the atmosphere right now aren't enough to do anything but maintain plant growth with what we have. We could use a lot more uh, carbon dioxide to green up this planet a little further. And that's the truth. It doesn't add to anything in terms of warming. What it does do is add to the greening of the planet and the plants. It doesn't even contribute to water vapor as the more carbon dioxide, the more photosynthesis, the less water vapor, the less warming you have in the atmosphere because the true gas that actually does trap heat is water vapor. And with more uh, carbon dioxide, more photosynthesis, more water is used, that actually might contribute to global cooling, folks. But hey, let's not let science get in the way. Let's not let facts get in the way. That's just, you know, not in the agenda. And if you think we're going to get off of fossil fuels and oil and, and you know, get rid of that, 
you're you're in a fantasy land everything that we have is made of some sort of synthetic that comes from oil we don't just refine oil into fuel folks we refine it and use it into many 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 products but that's for another topic for another show as you can hear that music well that's right folks my time today is done but it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and i sure hope you found this episode of we love outdoors both entertaining and informational and you know folks it's not something that uh you know i say often but i will say it now you know that you know it's it's a pleasure to to really be trying to give you this information because not a lot of people are doing it and you know it, it is i i find it my duty to inform people and i hope you find this informative uh, so, you know, folks, don't worry about a thing. Those wind turbines aren't built out in the lakes yet. We're going to protect our fresh water from these zealots that are absolutely out of their minds. And we're going to make sure that we have energy that's affordable and it, everyone can access it. Everyone can afford it. Uh, so, folks, don't worry about a thing. And I'll see you next week. Same bad times, same bad channel. God bless.